I've been walking around my neighborhood going for walks over the past week or two because it's been nicer, low 40s, upper 30s in February. That's kind of a gift. But as I'm walking through the neighborhood, I'm seeing a lot of houses on the market and they're asking for prices that seem a lot higher than they should be. What I've noticed, the common thread between all of them is the fact that they all have new roofs. A new roof can increase your property value by about 7% and also has a positive impact on your energy bills. Suburban Roofing and Siding is a family-owned company serving the Chicagoland area. We're talking Cook, Lake, McHenry, Kane, DuPage. You can trust their more than 40 years of collective experience. They warrant their workmanship for a lifetime as long as you own the home. Their premium shingles are back to the full 20-year non-prorated transferable manufacturer warranty. Not to mention, it's a green product. Call 224-677-6149 or visit them at suburbanroofingandsiding.com. So I mentioned that the reader survey wraps up on the 15th. The day before that, of course, is Valentine's Day. If your significant other, your partner, your paramour, the, the person who you adore loves reading, can I recommend a book? How about 90 Days in the 90s by Andy Fry? It's a fiction book based right here in Chicago. The idea of 90 Days in the 90s is Darby, woman who owns a record store in the city, gets to go back in time to Chicago during the 1990s and take in all that music scene stuff that we're still kind of nostalgic for. It's a really fun book, and it's very familiar. If you live through any of it, it'll seem awfully familiar to you. Like I said, a lovely Valentine's Day gift or a lovely gift for yourself. 90 Days in the 90s, you can just go to the website, 90daysin90s.com. It's Car Con Carne. Let's eat in the car. It's Car Con Carne. For the second year in a row, vinyl records outsold CDs in the U.S. I'm at a point where I have a turntable, my son has a turntable, my 16-year-old daughter now has a turntable. The appeal, the draw of vinyl records is at the heart of the new documentary film Vinyl Nation, newish documentary film Vinyl Nation. Joining me to talk about the movie are directors slash producers Kevin Smokler and Christopher Boone. Gentlemen, nice to meet you both. Oh, hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, James. Important question as we begin. Is this a record or is this a vinyl? It's a record. It's a vinyl record. <laughs> it's a vinyl record. It's wax. It's a it's a platter. It's a <laughs> it's a lot of things. Like we, we try not to police such terms. Licorice like, pizza. Yeah, licorice pizza, a 33 LP. Uh but I don't think either of us gold. refer to it. Yeah, we we don't refer to it as a vinyl. Right. No. There's some young folk, I think, who do, but we don't. But hey, and, you know what? Whatever floats your boat, I don't care yeah, what you call it. it. The, the last time I pushed back on it, I, I got lots of old man yeah. isms thrown at me and <laughs> yeah. just, just need to go with the flow. But I'm just going to leave it at it's not vinyl store day, it's record store day. Just yeah. Right. I'll, I'll put it, I'll, I'll throw this in. The Grammys do not make it easy for us because no. they award song of the year and call it record of the year, yes. um, which, which is confusing in about three different ways. It is. Uh, but we are often, given that we made this movie, we are often 
I think too often for our comfort asked to sort of mitigate disputes over whether um, over whether the thing you just held up should be called vinyl or whether vinyls is a sin against humanity or anything like that. And and we 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 try and stay out of that. We figure if you're listening to them, then then you, you can call it you can call it you know you can call it your sister Mary for all we care. Fair. So the movie, Vinyl Nation, this is about the personal side of collecting. This isn't an academic discussion about the rise and fall and rise of buying records. And I realize when you sat down and decided to make this film, you could have taken it in any number of different directions. You could have picked any number of, you could have done a documentary strictly on Record Store Day or on the speculators market that has kind of boomed over the past couple of years or how pressing plants are struggling to keep up. You went down the very personal track, and I, I think the movie is really wonderful. I, I, I finished the movie just kind of smiling. I, I felt, I just felt happy watching your film. Talk about your choice to kind of choose that direction. Um. So this is Kevin. Um. We, I, I Chris, Chris may remember this differently, but. When we first started talking about this movie, we don't live in the same place. I live in California and Chris lives in New Mexico. Uh, the first couple of times, I, did we even get together in person at the beginning or was it just no. on the phone? It was just, it on, was the just on the phone. Okay. But we definitely had some conversations where it would like, okay, if you were going to see a documentary about vinyl records, what would make you give up after about seven minutes? Like what, what, what would make you, what would make you just say, Oh my God, that was an insufferable waste of time. And why didn't I, you know, take my family out for a meal or go play tiddlywinks <laughs> or something like that instead. Um, and I, Chris, help me out here, but I think I think the short list we came up with was uh, no pointless arguments over whether records sound better than tapes or CDs or anything like that. Um, I think we said um, I think we said no, like comic book guys from The Simpsons talking about like you know. Uh, talking, talking about like like when records peaked, fell, and arguing that like that, that whatever records you're interested in, they're the wrong ones. Like <laughs> like none of that. And viewing record, the this is the only one I can think of, and maybe Chris can add a few more. And the other one was like viewing records as kind of like a, a, a technology rather than something with soul, um, because we 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 didn't really we couldn't really see how a, a medium that had been given up for dead would come back with such force if people didn't really feel an emotional connection to it um, rather than just a convenience or aesthetic connection to it. Uh, also, we were pretty much positive that it couldn't have been the same people who were into records before because the math just didn't work out. You, you can't have a boom if it's a one-to-one -one replacement of, 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 of previous previous audience to present audience mm -hmm. so yeah i'll just so, add to that like i think what you're trying to say kim is we tried not to walk in with a, a preset agenda like we, mm -hmm. we may have had some thoughts and some ideas and definitely we had some characters that we wanted to follow and and different storylines that we wanted to uncover mm -hmm. um but I, and we actually do ask people if they think final records sound better than mm -hmm. yeah whatever but i think to your point kevin we weren't coming in with the prescribed argument that, oh, we believe vinyl sounds better. And that's why we're making this documentary. It's like, yes. that's not a, we're not interested in that all, at all. And also, um, like when we first started talking about it, 
I mean, we were well over a decade into the resurgence of vinyl records, and there had been a number of magazine articles and columns and think pieces about, hey, did you hear vinyl records are back? And we're like, okay, so that's been covered. But we were a little more interested in like, well, how is it sticking around for this long? And what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned in your intro, like your teenagers have turntables, like my teenage daughter has a turntable. Like we're, we were kind of interested in, in that, especially this generation that they didn't even, never even held a CD in their hands. They never right. had music in a physical format. And all of a sudden they're buying records. We wanted to dig into that a little bit more. And Kevin always had the title Vinyl Nation when he pitched me the idea. And that title to me says this is a broad, diverse group of people who happen to have one thing in common. Wouldn't it be cool to uncover their diversity and and all the different reasons that they come together around music in this physical format so those are things that were attractive to us as we were trying to figure out how to make this film and the movie is available i, I watched it on prime but it's available on apple tv google play voodoo vimeo on demand um it's available for streaming right now after people are done listening or watching this interview they can jump on and find out what we've been talking about you mentioned diversity music fandom as a more inclusive universe, uh, we see that over and over again in this movie, the, the inclusivity. Um, one of my favorite examples is the Chulita, Chulita Vinyl Club. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that, because I, I, my next question, just to spoil that, how did you source all these guests? Like, how did you, <laughs> how did you zero in on who to, who to talk to? But talk first about Chulita Vinyl, Vinyl Club. Uh, the Chulita Vinyl Club, we had, I don't know if I had read an article about them or heard something about them on NPR. Um, and then strangely enough, after we had already reached out to them, Karen Kelleher, the president of Gold Rush Vinyl in Austin, uh, a, a newer pressing plant in Austin, um, when we were speaking to her and setting up her interview, she in fact said, oh, you guys should talk to the Chulita Vinyl Club. I, I, I believe the Chulita Vinyl Club may have started in Austin. Um, the founder yeah. is, is now based here in the Bay Area. Um, but we, I, I don't exactly remember how we heard about them. The Chulita Vinyl Club is, is an all-female uh, Latin American group of DJs um, who uh, who... I, I would say is almost is almost a sort of professional association for uh, for uh, uh, Latino women DJs, um, and they uh, and they share records and 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 skills and equipment and 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 book gigs together and stuff like that. Um, and the group um, the group has really has really created a space for uh, a class of of professional DJ that didn't that a lane for professional DJs that didn't really exist. And since most of them are under the age of 30 uh, and they had vinyl in the name of their group, like, like we thought that was kind of fascinating. We, we thought here, here's a group of DJs that is purposely identifying themselves with vinyl records. And so we wanted to know why this, this, this group of DJs who are obviously all too, who are all under 30 and therefore too young to have an experience with vinyl when that was the only way to listen to music. We, we, like, like why, why make that, why make that your brand? Like why, why make that who you, who you were? And so it was really, it was just fascinating. To it, was, it was fascinating to talk to, to talk to, to Claudia, their founder. And, uh, and then we, 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 she was the only one of the members we, we got to interview, but we, we, we found some, we found some good footage of, of media appearances they've done in the past. And of course, live footage of them actually doing the thing of them DJing. Right. 
Um, so yeah, we were their segment in our movie is often mentioned as one of people's favorites. Yeah, the other thing that's really cool, I think, about that collective is how they use DJing to connect to the music that their parents and grandparents listen to. Yes. And they really want to share that musical cultural history with audiences. Um and they go digging and flea markets and uh, more out of the way places to find a lot of music that probably is only available on vinyl record um, and, and bring that out again to their audiences. So it's a combination of teaching each other how to be DJs as well as again, spreading their love of music that they've grown up listening to. Um, and again, that you may not associate with a typical under 30 year old. Um, right. So that was just, that was just kind of a fascinating story. And Claudia was wonderful to get to talk to and meet and uh, just so happened to be in the Bay area, which is where Kevin's from now. So uh, it made it easier for us to, uh, to have that interview as well. Chris, does it make you, does it make you uncomfortable that Kevin has such a lovely background? Like he, he's, he's no, virtual, virtual shaming I love everyone his background. else. Yes. No, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have a bland closet door <laughs> and blue blank wall behind me while Kevin has beautiful wallpaper made of old movie posters and lovely bookshelves. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in my happy little, happy little space in the house. So no, he'll never show me up and I'll never be embarrassed about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chris and I, Chris and I, the first week of this movie was shot here in the Bay area where I live. So Chris and I, Chris and I, in addition to being co-directors were roommates for the first, for the first week. Sure. This, uh, Thanks to uh, Kevin's uh, yes. Hospitality. Also, <laughs> you do not want me to open these doors. That's a nightmare back there. And so that is why they are closed during yeah. podcast interviews that are filmed on camera. So were you, were you fans? Were you collectors going into this or was this just something you were naturally curious about and wanted to, build a story around i'll start with that one um yeah. i uh only got back into i should say got into records probably during the resurgence like i i am one of the people that is part of this resurgence and that started i think it was i have to guess i'm never exactly sure i think it was like around 2014 um i actually i worked at a record store uh for a year out of college uh while i was also working in corporate america because i was like i hate corporate america but working at record store is fun and um this is the late 90s and we didn't sell records at all so that mm -hmm. was you know the height of the cd generation sure pre-napster um uh, but I, I just loved, I loved working in the record store and, you know, meeting a bunch of different people and seeing what they were buying and they were into, but, um, I'm a, I, Kevin and I are both, uh, a little too young to really have caught the bug, uh, you know, when vinyl was in its heyday. Like, uh, I, I had some 45s down in the basement on my mom's old hi-fi with my older brothers. Um, I had a Fisher price record player too, yes. had some Sesame street records, yes. Um, you know, but I, I never had, I never owned an album of my own, uh, that would be considered music other, like I said, other than these 45s, um, and not very many of those. I was really the cassette generation and then the CD generation. So, um, yeah, so I'm part of the resurgence and it was my wife actually who decided, Hey, I think it'd be cool to get a turntable. And phew, that was her mistake on her part. <laughs> Cause I was like, Ooh, I can start buying yeah, records slip, now. Slippery slope. Slippery slope. Yeah. And I didn't realize how out of touch I'd become with music. Um, I, I I was listening a little bit on streaming, but I, I really wasn't keeping up with current music. I just kind of let it go um, mm -hmm. after I had stopped buying CDs. Um, it was strange. And so being able to actually buy and hold music in, in my hands again, um, 
you know, reestablish that love of listening to music that you own. And I love albums more than, you know, just individual songs. And, uh, and, and so like having a record was kind of actually like the perfect format for me. So we have it in the living room. I put on a record when I, when I make dinner, um, I pay more attention to flipping the record than I do to what's on the stovetop. I always say, um, yeah, so that's how I got into records. Uh, how about you, Kevin? I was, I, I was, fortunate enough to get into records kind of as the resurgence was beginning like, like chris said we're both a little bit young to to have been into records the first time records were definitively like the way my parents listened to music yeah. um and then i i bought someone's turntable mostly on a lark because i didn't really know what i was going to do with it and like and and it largely sat on my living room floor and and until i called the guy back who sold it to me and said i I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do with this. And then he took me record shopping to the original Amoeba in Berkeley. And he happened to, I said to him, I said, I, I, I don't really know what I need to buy records of. Most of what I'm interested in listening to, I already own in some other format. And he said, well, why don't you just let me give you some stuff I'm interested in? And his thing was, his thing was 1970s Philadelphia soul music. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, which I was totally unfamiliar with at that point. Um, and so I let him do it. And this is shortly before the renaissance of records began. So records were still kind of a cheap way to, to listen yeah. to music that we all know that's not true anymore. Um, but so I walked away with a dozen, you know, Gamble and Huff and Philadelphia International Records kind of things and some staple singers and yes. stuff like that. Staple singers are from your town, but um, yes. um and I just I just fell in love with it all over again. And I was like the, the the light bulb that went on for me is like buying records was like was like going to music community college forever you know like like 15 20 bucks a course unit you know this this semester this semester's irish punk next semester is uh, african electronic semester after that is uh pre-1960s classic rock and whatever on and on forever like and um of course that was that was premised on records being cheap and they're not cheap anymore records are more like going to an expensive private university for music <laughs> but uh but i still the idea that records are still the best way to not only seek new musical frontiers but but sort of establish a establish a home in a new musical area for yourself and mm -hmm. and declare this as something you're interested in investing time and money and and emotion in yourself in um and i i, I haven't chris neither chris nor i are opposed to streaming um or see it as as the opposite of records uh we i i think we both see it as like as like the 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 lead-in to records <laughs> it's yeah. it's the it's the thing you do to decide to decide if something is worth spending the money <laughs> to, um, absolutely to, to have on record and and fantastic that it exists because like if there was no way to preview before buying for records i, I don't think there would be any money left to make to have made vinyl nation it would be it would be chris and i and our families we hope um probably probably living in an sro motel with our records <laughs> probably and everything you're saying i mean this is what spoke to me about the movie it's that experiential aspect of it all and it's funny you're talking about streaming versus listening to vinyl 
I got a couple Bandcamp Day purchases in the mail today that I ordered uh-huh. last week. And I realized I haven't listened to either of those albums on streaming services since I ordered those records. I waited for them to arrive before I, I could have listened to them over and over for the past six days, but I waited for them to arrive in vinyl form. Now, on the other side of it, I'm that guy who will take the download codes from records. I, I think no one does this. I'll take the download codes and download the high quality wave wave version. Oh, of sure. The sure. Just yeah. Save them for a rainy day. I don't know what that means, but I, I have. Mm-hmm you know, a terabyte of that stuff just from downloading mm-hmm. the codes from records. So yeah. let's, let's talk about sourcing because when you, when you sat down and started mapping out what this movie would be and the stories you're going to tell in the overarching story, you had to figure out who to talk to and how to build that narrative. You explained how you sourced one guest, but how did you find everyone else? Well, uh, honestly, uh, most of it started with Kevin's network. Um, uh, and, during our research phase, we started to reach out to people within you know, mostly his network and few in mine, um, just to kind of kick the idea around and see what they thought about it. Um, and then every phone call would always end with like, who else should we be talking to about this? Who else should we be talking to about this? And so that would you know lead us down a couple of different roads. And every time we would talk to somebody on the phone, we would finish up and say like, do we think they make a good character, you know, in the film? And, and then Kevin and I also started to come up with kind of like album tracks, things that we wanted to cover, uh, within the project. You know, we, we definitely wanted to include record stores, but if we're going to include record stores, there might be some obvious record stores like Amoeba, but it'd be, it would be more interesting to us if we would look at record stores that are owned by women or, you know, uh, just not who you may expect to own a record store. We definitely want to look at pressing plants because that whole industry has changed with, you know, the the fall of records and then the resurgence. And so we want to kind of figure out, like, who should we interview for that and the different types of pressing plants. So some of it would be kind of cold calling. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned how do we map it out, too, is we, we literally had a Google map and we started dropping pins on that map because if you're going to call it Vinyl Nation and we decide to stay focused on the U.S., we realized pretty quickly, like, we don't want to just talk to people in New York and LA and Nashville and call it a day. Like that's not really vinyl nation. So yes, we were going to go to those cities and, you know, Kevin's in the Bay area. So it's going to make sense. We have a lot of contacts there. Austin's a great music town. But then after that, it was like, well, where else do we want to go to actually make this a more inclusive story? And so we'd look at our map and see if we were kind of covering the country the way we wanted to there were some cities that were on our list that just for time and budget we weren't able to get to uh, we tried but it just didn't work out but oh no i think we got a pretty representative uh you know cross-section of the country you know kevin what am i missing yeah i mean we i we had we had these different sort of sort of headings that we wanted to to group the, the 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 people we interviewed for Vinyl Nation under, you know, people who owned record stores, people who worked at record labels, musicians, fans. Uh, we had we had more of those headings because we saw we saw we were mostly making a, a fans movie, not not a movie about people who work professionally in the music industry. Right. So um, so for fans, we had we had more of we had more groupings like parents and kids who who liked records and and, and people who are sort of not the obvious person you you assume um, is the one who likes record, like someone who's 11 or someone who you know, someone like that. Um, and uh, and from there, like like I think I think the thing we both understood 
is we didn't we had some basic questions we wanted to ask everybody but we also really just wanted to let everybody tell their own story mm -hmm. and uh, making a documentary is less about is less about you know how how does someone pop on camera or something like that because you're not asking them to you know be in a car chase or be in a sex scene or something like that what you're asking of them what you're asking of them is are they going to say something interesting so it it, it actually works works more like radio or podcasting does mm -hmm. where, where you need someone who's a good talker for sure um, and so we had questions we had questions we asked of everybody but fundamentally all of the questions were pretty open ended and we just hoped that whoever we spoke to would have enough to say and 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 be excited enough about telling their own story for it to make for it to 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 be the fibrous tissues of a good movie um and um and we sort of sussed that out on the phone we talked to everybody on the phone before we sure. we went and filmed them for the for for vinyl nation uh and from that i i think chris and i could pretty much tell like is this person just going to be conversational is this person just going to be fun to talk to um and if so we figured we could kind of we could kind of swing with them I, I conducted the interviews but but chris and our cinematographer sherry were both there on set and when i was done with my questions uh, more than once either one of the two of them would say hey i'd also like to talk to that to I'd also like to talk to you about X or Y, and then and then that would be that would be part of the interview too. It's like it's like a court trial. I'd like to cross examine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, we 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 made we we tried really hard. Like like I don't think we talked to. I mean, maybe Ben Blackwell, but we didn't talk to that many people who were sort of used to being on camera. Yeah. Um, and so it was really important to us that everybody just felt like we were having a conversation and the camera and the, and the equipment, the sound equipment and stuff just kind of disappeared. So we would do a thing. We would do a thing where um, the first few questions we would ask people were just chit chat. Um, the camera and sound would say they were ready to go. I, as the interviewer would say, I was, I would ready, I was ready to go. And then we just, we just chit chat. I I'd say, tell me about your favorite album. Tell me about the last album you bought. And that, that was mostly just just a way to get the conversation going. Mm -hmm. Like we di we didn't get to the substantial part of the conversation until four or five questions. Sure. You mentioned Ben Blackwell, mm -hmm. uh, one of the most quote worthy, sound biteable parts of this movie. <laughs> ben Blackwell from Third Man. Audiophiles are the worst. They are passionate about all the wrong things about vinyl records. I, I can't imagine how much shit he took. Um, but I mean that that speaks to what we're, we're talking about as as fans. It's it's not about the the grams or the the depth of sound. It's just it's just that that connection to the music and the artist. That, that's the that's at the root of all this. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I, I want you to jump in here if I'm mischaracterizing this, but like anyone who makes a movie is probably someone who has seen a lot of movies, <laughs> uh, and they're probably someone who knows when the experience of watching of watching a movie is great and when it's infuriating and and, and the 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 most sort of general way you can describe a movie that's infuriating the movie that's infuriating is bad company it's like do i want to spend like 90 to 120 minutes with you bad movie no thank you it's like i'd rather not so so i think that was the most important thing for us like like thematically 
A, we thought the accurate story of the comeback of vinyl records was one of inclusion and not mm -hmm. exclusion. It was one about more people becoming interested in records. And also, like, I don't, Chris, I don't know what we would have done if we had found out that, like, everybody who was responsible for the comeback of records was a jerk. Like, <laughs> like I'm not sure what we would have done. We, we, how, we have had to make a movie about jerks, but thankfully we didn't. And, and I think for it to hold up to the very weighty title that was Vinyl Nation, we, 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 I think we sort of knew our story was going to have to be fundamentally optimistic, fundamentally inclusive, and therefore good company. Well, and, and to build on that, you know, uh, one of our, our editors, Jason Welling, after going through all of our raw footage and, and trying to pick out things that he thought were going to work well for the documentary, said pretty early in the post process, like you guys set out to make a documentary about the resurgence of vinyl records. But I think what you have here is a story about human connection and what brings people together. And realizing that at that point and, and leaning into that kind of as a theme, as we would watch through the the rough cuts and as we were winnowing it down, we wanted to make it feel a lot like here are 45 of your newest friends that you just want to hang out with. You don't even need to be into vinyl records. You, but you still want to hang out with these people yeah. and they're going to share their love and passion for vinyl records. And you're going to see connections amongst them, even though they've never met each other. And, they may look totally different from one another and come from totally different parts of the country and totally different backgrounds. And yet some of them are going to tell almost the exact same stories. Um, and it has to do with Fauna records. And that to me was really special. And we had a number of people uh, ever since we've released it, tell us like, yeah, I just really feel like I could hang out. I'd, I'd want to hang out with those people. And also as we were editing it, our editors like, yeah, you could put all 45 of these people in a room. And they would just be fast friends, um, even if they have a lot of other differences, just because of records, they would just want to go off and, and talk about their favorite records and what they love about them and, and share them. And uh, that 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 was important to us in terms of what we ultimately wanted the feel of the documentary to be uh, when you watched it. And and to your point, Kevin, you want to be good company. Like you don't want to turn it off because <laughs> you're curious when your your favorite friend is going to come back around to say something like Ben Blackwell <laughs> and throw audio files under the bus and, and admit to it at the same time. Right. Okay. <laughs> so um and that was great just to be able to have those conversations and for people to kind of break down those initial barriers and just kind of speak honestly. And that's not to say we don't have audio files amongst sure. the characters in the film as and amongst our fans as well. Like, um, but just recognizing that there's room for everybody um, at the table. Thinking about what you said, and, and again, the movie is Vinyl Nation, talking to Christopher Boone and, and Kevin Smokler, who, do, who made this movie, talking about getting all these people in a room, it comes down to community. When you listen to stream music on your earbuds, it's a very solitary experience this is a very welcoming way to listen and share an experience together. And I think that really is something that comes across through this film. Yeah. I don't run yeah. into people when I'm on Spotify, exactly. <laughs> but I do bump into people if I go into the record store and I haven't met them before. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, that's definitely a, a personal experience and there's something fun about that. I mean, I think that's also part of the pe people can say what they want to say about record store day. But Kevin and I talk about it as it's just 
a good excuse to go to a record store and, and, and bump into people that you haven't met before and just see all these people that are into something that you're into as well. And you don't need to necessarily go at the crack of dawn. There's always exactly. cool stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Yeah. So there's always fun stuff happening. And it's just, that's a great day because there's just a ton of people there. But honestly, every day is a good excuse for a record store day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a much more personal experience. Like we said earlier, though, we both use Spotify. We use it to discover music. And, and the irony for me is that my daughter, you know, posts on her social media her Spotify end of the year, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And they like to try to make it look really cool. And from that, I can figure out what record I should buy her for Christmas. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> brilliant. Know, yeah, without absolutely. asking her, I'm like, <laughs> yes, but it's fun to figure out which ones actually exist uh, as a, as a vinyl record. So there, there's certainly ways to share things uh, through social media and through streaming services, mm -hmm. but certainly isn't the same. I'm also the beneficiary of many records that have randomly shown up on my front door <laughs> thanks to the generosity of one Kevin Smoker. Oh, you're too kind. Um, I, I mean, I think it helps that we, we, we've spent an ungodly amount of time together despite not living in the same place over the last, God, almost five years now. And, um, and so I, I think we're pretty much aware of uh, aware of the kinds of music that each one of us, that speaks to each one of us and where each one of us would like to grow more musically. Um, I, I, I have a distinct memory. I think it was like our third night of filming and I, it, we were in Los Angeles and we were all out very late and we were very tired and I put, and we had a long, long drive back to drop everybody off. And, and Chris said, well, why don't you put some music on? And I put some music on and it was so, so some sort of slow dirgy kind of thing. And, <laughs> and, and, and it is really the only time Chris has ever reacted to me with, with, with a, with a, with a, a virulence and a negativity <laughs> about this sort of thing. And he just turned to me and he goes, he goes, I will, I think he said something on the lines of, I will literally drive the car <laughs> off the road from, from like, like, exhaustion and, and and slumber if you keep this up <laughs> he goes he goes this is not gonna work we need something yeah like that uh and uh and so i i fixed it and like yeah and kevin and kevin that's <laughs> this late night driving 101 nothing down tempo no 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 i should i really should have known better and um but you know i i think what we have experienced and and who knows maybe it's just us you know, drinking our own Kool-Aid and and, and, and and ascribing to the attitude that was in our movie, or maybe it was an attitude we as people had all along, chicken or the egg question there. But um, we just we just feel like records and music and what they represent is a way to find something in common with people that you don't have in common otherwise. And 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 I, I'm saying something that everybody who has spent too much time in record stores knows. Um, but you go into a record store and um, you pick something up, and you're deciding whether to buy it or whether you even know what it is. And 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 you do that enough times, and someone, someone, someone you've never met before, of course, will say to you, "Oh, you have to get that. You have totally. to buy. You have to buy that record." And once in a while, they're wrong. Most of the time, they're right. They're right more than than happenstance with strangers would would indicate. And what that means uh, to me, what that means is that 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 there's just magic in the air. There's just magic in the air when you're when you're in a record store and 
and everybody wants to do right by not only themselves but everybody else in there but music itself like it, it's like it's like we're all it, it's like we all we've all just entered the oracle you know at that point and we all just want to show that we're faithful servants to this thing called music and um and i i mean that's that's by the way that's a good record store a, a good record store a good record store um promotes that kind of humanistic behavior between people bad record store you, fistfight's going to break out or something, but like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope that, I hope that our movie captured that sort of positivity and kindness that, that, that records seem to, um, engender in people. Well, that was one of the first things I said when we started talking was I, I finished the movie and just felt happy. And, yeah. and you know, coming off a couple of years where everything we see on the news, everything we doom scroll on our phones, it's just dire. And people are just crappy Every when you read about them and you, you see these stories. Here's an example of people who are just cool and kind. And they're just they just all are into the same thing. And it's all wonderful. And I just felt, OK, the world's OK. It's not as horrible as I, I've been led to believe for the past couple of years. There, there, there are pockets of, of hope and inspiration. And that's what I got out of the movie. That's great to hear. I mean, yeah, we actually yeah. finished this film in February 2020. And then a month later, the pandemic hits. <laughs> and we we're like, oh, boy. Um, so we had all kinds of plans on how we wanted to bring the movie out into the world. And that just just went out the window. And um, before we had any sort of distribution in place or any leads on that, we didn't know if anything was going to happen with film festivals, if film festivals are going to happen whatsoever. Nobody knew what was going on with the pandemic and all the record stores were closed and record store day happens most years. And now it does again in about mid mid April. And that definitely wasn't going to happen. And that's when record stores typically go into the black every year. Um, it's, it's the biggest day um, mm -hmm. of sales. And Kevin and I just were talking to each other saying, like, a lot of these record stores might go out of business. Like, <laughs> And Kevin actually said, I'm worried our film is going to be like uh, just out of time out of place it's going to be a, a historical document <laughs> and, wow. and it won't make sense like we sh what are we going to do about this and so we just on a whim decided well why don't we just do a fundraiser for the, for the record stores and do a, a one weekend only screening and nobody had seen the film yet and um, we connected with the record store day national organization and said hey do you think this is a good idea and we said we'll let them keep 100 percent of the proceeds like let's wow. just want to we just want to help them out um when they can't open their doors on a day that means the most to them and record store day said yeah absolutely so they helped us get in touch with a bunch of record stores so we had like 200 250 record stores sign up to sell tickets they sold tickets digitally to their customer yeah, base 46 and, states too so yeah yeah almost, yeah almost yeah. the entire country and um collectively all the record stores sold about $37,000 worth That's of tickets awesome. and, and they got to, you know, each keep all, all the proceeds. But what was really cool was everybody got to watch the movie for one weekend when we were all stuck in our houses together yeah. um, separately, but we're watching, able to watch together. And Kevin and I would jump on some, some record stores did like live tweet parties. And so we jump on that and just having like literally thousands of people all at once, being able to share the experience that they were missing on record store day together was special at a very early time in the pandemic. And to your point, 
the, the movie is joyful and it brought joy to people at a time when we were all pretty scared and we didn't know yeah. what was going on. Um, and that was great. And so that was probably the coolest movie premiere I know I was ever involved in and probably will, will ever be involved in. And I didn't get to be there with anybody except like my own family. Um, but yeah, that was really special. And so I'm happy that we were able to do it. And, and thankfully due to Kevin's diligence, our film has had a great tour of many cities, many film festivals. Uh, it, we've released this thing six ways to Sunday. Um, and it's just been a, a great ride um, ever since that point in time. So, and, and then every once in a while, we got these awesome interview requests from people like you. It's like, yeah. hey, do you want to talk about a documentary? Like, absolutely. Yeah, my, my worry, guys, when I reached out to you was, oh, am I too late? Like, are they done doing yeah. press for this? <laughs> like, I, I just saw the movie. I feel like I, I'm, I'm late to the party, but I'm going to reach out anyway because I really- We have had it. an interview request since yours. Like, yeah. We <laughs> keep- they just keep coming through they keep getting tossed over the transom and yeah um just like people love talking about records in our film we, we're happy to talk to people about our film yeah when you finish when you finish a project you've been working on for two years and and, and you finish it a month before a worldwide pandemic begins you disabuse yourself of the notion that that any positivity or optimism or interest in your project is not worth your time. Like, like you, <laughs> you're, you're really, you're really glad that, 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 that people are, are watching and care. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, am not saying, you know, I'm not saying like, like you always, you always want as many, you make a movie, you want as many people to see it as you can. Um, I'm, I'm Chris and I joke sometimes like, we're not sure we would have gotten better results if we had like premiered at Sundance or something mm -hmm. like, like, I, I don't know if that would have, we don't know if things, if, if things would have turned out better had this been a more conventional release and had there been no giant pandemic standing right in the middle right. of it. Um, but this is no, this is what it is. I, I, I can definitively say like very, very few first time documentary filmmakers have will have had the experience that we've had over the last two years releasing their first film there's a couple of them and and we've had some really fun conversations That's... with those people and and we 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 happen to love their movies too so so we we would totally recommend anybody see the other music documentary the you know those those guys are friends of ours and then the people who did the documentary the booksellers about about uh, uh, or the the sort of state of rare book collecting, mm -hmm. like those, we were we were comrades in arms with them too, and, and then you know we've been really really the beneficiaries of a lot of goodwill, um, particularly by the film festival community. Um, we've had several film festivals say you know who showed our movie virtually in 2020 when there was no such thing as film festivals in person say in 2021 like like why don't you guys come back like why don't you guys and that never happens like you you never get two bites of the apple with a film festival so for sure so that that's been great and 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 chris and i have been fortunate enough to go to a few of these film festivals and you know it's a little bit just like meeting people you served in the same battalion with you know <laughs> like, oh your movie can't your movie came out in april of 2020 like how did that go <laughs> yeah that shared experience for sure yeah, yeah really special and um and, and to the one they all said the same thing they all said the same thing like i couldn't do it if people didn't continually show me and my crew and my movie this the kind of goodwill they did like i i, I wouldn't i would have been able to keep going 
so this creative partnership, Christopher Boone, Kevin Smokler, this partnership is continuing. You're working on something new together. Uh, we are. Um, we uh, we I, I I'm less patient than Chris is, and uh, and when we we were thick in the middle of doing Vinyl Nation, I would tease Chris and I would say, "So regarding our next movie," and <laughs> and he would say, "Stop it! We have this one to tend to." And we didn't, you know, we just didn't know. We we didn't know where this would end up, and we we sort of made no promises to each other of working together beyond this. Uh, and I think we realized, Chris, you tell me if I'm characterizing this correctly, but I think we realized, like, a, we work really well together, um, and b, we, um, despite all of the obstacles, you know, Vinyl Nation sort of got a reception that we didn't anticipate it was going to get. Uh, and got a ton of goodwill we didn't think it was going to get, and so it would be it would be kind of it would be looking a gift horse in the mouth to to not to not try and um, uh, to not try and make something of that. So, Chris, I don't know when it was. Was it was it last May we met up in in your hometown? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You came out here, and uh, we sat down for a week, and we just kind of spitballed several different ideas and yeah i definitely was the one who was like let's get through one project from start to finish <laughs> and i do realize like from many different perspectives it makes sense to have multiple things going it's just this was like you were saying the first time you and i had worked together this was your first film period yeah and, yeah. and so it's like it was like there's and every stage is different from the previous one. So it's just a whole different set of obstacles. And we realized going through it from start to finish where each of us had strengths and each of us had weaknesses and we complement each other quite well. It's the other reason we, we tend to work well together, but that wasn't apparent until we kind of got through the whole thing. Um, yeah. And so knowing that it's like, okay, what could we tackle moving forward? And could we put together maybe a few ideas to try to move a couple of things forward and see you know, which one might catch fire. And while if that one takes off, then let's kind of keep trying to get the other ones going too. maybe, you know, a little bit, but let's, you know, focus over there. So yes, we are working on a couple different ideas, okay. um, but they're still early in early stages, but we're, we're, we're at that phone call stage where we're, yeah. we've been reaching out to a <laughs> bunch of people uh, every day, kicking around these ideas, seeing what they think about them, asking them, you know, some interesting questions, finding out from them who else we should be talking to. Um, and we're getting closer on some, but every film is uh, an uphill battle of time and money. Sure. So, um, even, even though I think we have some really good ideas, we, we gotta, we gotta deal with the, the money part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and convince somebody that say, yes, this is a good idea. Um, why don't you join us on this, on this journey? So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have more news in, in the near future, but yeah, we're plugging away right now. And like Kevin said, we had a really good experience with Vinyl Nation. We've built goodwill with a number of different people. And so hopefully we'll be able to work with some of those same people again, as we move forward on new projects. Yeah. I, I think if we, if, if it was, if it was, if Vinyl Nation was supposed to be a one-time thing, I, I think I would have gone to Albuquerque last May. Chris and I would have sat down with the legal pads for eight to 10 hours at a time at the same diner, which we did like three days in a row. And it would have just been awkward and weird. And we would have been like, okay, I guess this isn't really like supposed to happen again. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I don't know at what point it was during those three days, it was clear to us, but I think we were both like, okay, we, we we both showed up with a, with some some different ideas and it was like oh it's clear like like we're already talking about this like this is supposed to happen so that's awesome 
And I, unrelated or somewhat related, diner food is one of my favorite cuisines. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't blame you. Uh, Give me a Monte Cristo or a patty melt. I'm good. Uh, there, there is a diner in Chris's hometown that um, has been very good to us, <laughs> and, and, and 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 iterations of of this movie and things and things we've done together, and and you know projects we've spitballed together and stuff like that so. yes and you can sit you can sit at the flying star cafe essentially all day and nobody's gonna kick you out so beautiful thing <laughs> that's helpful and good wi-fi yeah. so vinyl nation it is streamable i love it if you're not a record collector it doesn't matter this is a story about people and it, records just happen to be the red thread throughout these people's stories uh, i love really nice job and i'm glad that you're working on something new or, or spitballing what comes next because uh, i'll be excited to see what that is thank you guys oh thanks for having us we really appreciate it yeah thanks james appreciate it